the name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one in the back. Good day for a movie podcast. I'm Jacob. Joined alongside me, as always, Sage and Tate. What's up? Howdy. How we doing? Doing I'm good. I'm tired. I am tired as well. Did you guys? Uh, did you guys go see Barbie with with Oppenheimer? Did you do the Barbenheimer? I did. I did you the did. full Barbenheimer experience. Yes, I did. Um, that is the episode today. Not Barbenheimer, but Oppenheimer. Um, at four fifteen, I went to Barbie. At seven o'clock, I went to Oppenheimer. Jesus Christ! So I was could it never in right, my right mind do that? Was it literally like right when Barbie finished? Um, Barbie finished at six twenty-one. Oppenheimer started at seven. Oh, okay, so you had a little bit of time. Yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't leave the theater. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, why would you? Don't yeah, so I, I did the full full Barbieheimer. I Barben Barbenheimer. There we go. Um. I took my friend's kid, her daughter, who's 12, to Barbie, and then I took her husband to Oppenheimer. Damn, so she's just getting... <laughs> you're taking her husband and her kid out to the movies. Mm-hmm. So you're she Mama gets Jacob. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're Mama, Mama Roth? She had the invite. She didn't want to go. It's Shrine Frontier Days this week, so mm-hmm. we are very busy, and she's my coworker as well. Um, <laughs> so we are preparing for we we were preparing for that on thursday mom and jacob like, no, today you go i'll do this so it's a good trade-off <laughs> nice to get your attention do i have to call you mommy now no that's okay you don't have to do that that just made jacob cringe yeah <laughs> no thank you You can call me dad i am dad no i saw a couple people in my theater at, uh i saw it afterwards that they had their barbie get up on during in oppenheimer and i was just like wow i can't believe a lot of people actually still did that it seemed like lots way too of much. people in pink I saw two guys with a half pink shirt, half black shirt. And I can only assume that they were going to Oppenheimer after they saw Barbie. It was crazy, the internet buzz around this. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see yeah. that? Um, what was it? Um, I think it was, so like back when The Dark Knight first came out, it said that it was like, there was an internet thing that said that The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia coming out on the same mm-hmm. day was the original Barbenheimer. Yep. And I was like, yeah. True that. <laughs> I love Mamma Mia, by the way. Mamma Mia is a fantastic movie. So I guess it, since we're not reviewing Barbie, how's Barbie? Barbie was good. I It was way Damn funnier it. than I thought it was going to be. Um, it had a nice message. I liked the, the kind of overall message of the movie was... Don't be plastic? No. Um, <laughs> it, it was... Like, for women, like, if you want to be a mom and that's it, that's awesome. If you want to be a mom and like a boss of a company, that's awesome too. If you want to be a mom and just also have a job, that's cool too. What if you don't want to be a mom? That's fine too. Nice. You just want Good to job, be a boss, Barbie. that's fine. If you just want to work, that's fine. So it said everything's fine. Yeah. Did I mean, it say, and Jacob, if you want to be a mother, that's okay too? It did not, luckily. I heard there. Did it make Mama Jacob tear stuff, up? But it was not. If, if you want to go there, I'll go there. But. Uh, <laughs> 
Jacob, People are you my are you my mummy? No, no, I'm not. Um, it's a really we're... creepy Doctor Who episode. But are you my mummy? Yeah, Oppenheimer. Let, let's let's transition into Oppenheimer. I'm yeah. um, away from the weird sage stuff. You don't want to talk about Doctor Who? No, nobody oh. does. Tate does. I like Doctor Who, but yeah, we can talk about Oppenheimer. You two and four other people watch Doctor Who in the entire world. Yeah, we're, we're pretty cool. What was your guys' anticipation for Oppenheimer? So high. So much anticipation. Mixed. It was when I saw three hours, I about wanted to drive my car off the road on the way to going to the theater. Just because three hours is just way too fucking long for a movie. Yeah, I was excited for it. I I trust Christopher Nolan, and I like Killian Murphy, and the whole cast looked awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. I think when last time when you were going over the cast, that was the first time that I heard all that. Um, I only knew, actually, really only Cillian Murphy. Um, but big cast, a lot of hype. I learned actually a lot about this film um, and like even the making of it within like a week of seeing us now, mm-hmm. um, which I guess a lot of people knew for a while, but uh, yeah, hearing some of the like no CGI stuff, um, hearing the huge cast, hearing the standing ovations it was getting, I was like, oh damn, this is this is big shit. Well, and outside of named cast, there are so many familiar faces. Like we're gonna we'll talk about it on the other side because there are some very notable ones in our own podcast movies that we've reviewed that popped up in this movie. Yeah, very excited to see it, and love that we're doing one of the another one of these specials because I love seeing movies in theater. Heck yeah, it's the best. There's nothing. Yeah, quite it's like the best. The nothing quite like the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do love it though. Yeah, fuck favorite. movie theaters. All right, well, let's get into that as well on the other side. in a future and our imaginings horrify us they won't fear it until they understand it and they won't understand it Until they've used it. Theory will take you only so far. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon. But we have no choice. Anyone 
fuck movie theaters. Next, I'm not going to another goddamn movie theater for at least a year because of this podcast. I'm done. I'm over it. This is bullshit. What happened this time? No movie should be three hours without intermissions, at least two. I had to go through 35 minutes of previews. Fuck that. That is such bullshit. I was so angry. Not a good time for squeaky toys. So fuck the movie theater. I'm not going to the movie theater again. For was that it, year. though? That was it? Yeah, that's it. Just that there's no intermission? And, no, everything. And some previews. It was horrible. I was sitting in a, mo- a hot movie theater for three hours and 36 minutes. Where'd you go? Cinemark. Sage must just have like the worst luck and just goes to the worst ones. When he went to the Lyric, bands were just playing as loud as they possibly could right next to him. Um, This one sounds like a pretty normal movie experience that he's just mad with normal things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like I have, I know exactly when the movie starts. We have exactly 15 minutes of previews. Nope. I was, I had my watch on and it was like the, the, Start time was 7.50. I was there at 7.56. Looked at my watch and it was 8.15. And it was still previews. And I was like, okay, the previews have to end soon. And the last preview didn't end until 8.26. And then the lights went dark. I could care less about how much Sage hates movie theaters. I care more about what you guys think of Oppenheimer. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was one of the best paced movies I've ever seen, at least in recent memory. The three hours didn't feel like three hours to me. I love the theater experience. We have air conditioning in Wyoming and like, I guess, Cinemark and Fort Collins. So it wasn't hot. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the performances were all fantastic. There's a, it, it definitely, it was a high level, high concept movie. It wasn't an action movie. And I knew that going in. So I wasn't disappointed by that. I've seen some people online disappointed by that. Um, I was intrigued the whole time. I didn't really know all that much about the whole thing. Um, yeah, I was a big fan. Sage? My only problem with it is the length. I think... Can you hear Benji breathing? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but it's not bad. Benji, go away. No, leave me alone. Um, it's just the length. Like I just had to double check to make sure, but like Interstellar was two hours and 50 minutes. I'd watch Interstellar over Oppenheimer eight or nine out of 10 times. I think I agree with Jacob. I think they did a very good job of filling the space. I think it was really well paced and I got really nervous. Cause like when, you know, the event happened when they dropped the bomb and then like the aftermath happened, I was like, Oh man, we must be close to the mo- end of the movie. And I looked at my watch and it was like 10, 15. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? We're only an hour and 50 into this. Um, so I was, nervous but then the last hour i mean it still was much slower than the first two hours but yeah very good movie i think there are a few poor performances but overall the acting was well done i think beyond anything else the directing visual and sound effects were incredible like that was by far the best part of the movie yeah i i lucked out because i knew that the big event of the bomb first dropping what happened about two hours in and then there's a little bit of a tonal shift. And so I knew that going in. So I was just like, that was my good barometer of like when, where we were at in the movie. Tate, what'd you think? I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I, I, 
read up a little bit about Oppenheimer just on his Wiki. I read a lot of his Wikipedia page going like an hour before going into the movie. So I, um, cause I wanted to get kind of a grasp of his life. I wasn't sure how, like, yeah, I didn't really know exactly what to expect. I mean, other than obviously it being about, um, the Manhattan project, but this movie was way more of a political drama than anything else. And I actually kind of liked that about it because there's only like so much you could really tell about this, like Manhattan project and the bomb, uh, as far as like the actual like action behind it, <laughs> like, unless you wanted to get real big brain and lose your entire audience. So it was, yeah, they did a really good job to focus on all that. And it was interesting because none of his Wikipedia page like brought up the kind of like the main conflict in the movie, which is all of the behind the scenes drama um, of him like losing his credibility for being accused of being a communist um, and helping the communist party. Um, so like all of that stuff was brand new to me, even though I just read a lot about his life right before going in. Um, and in the, it was funny in the Wikipedia, all they really said was that after he went through this whole project and made the bomb, he basically reversed course and was a, a big advocate of not using these bombs. So like, that's the only thing that I like read going into it where I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, that is what a lot of the movie turned out to be about, which I thought is cool. Cause it's, that's the emotional side of it. So yeah, I, I don't know. I just rambled a lot, but I I liked it a lot, and I thought the acting was incredible. I thought they, like you said, the the spacing of it or how they kind of filled it in, insanely well done. And yeah, Sage, the visuals and the sound were phenomenal, and just kind yeah, of the way that they. Yeah. I think it's we've said this before about other films, but the way that they used like silence, um, mm. it was almost louder than. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about the, the bomb going scenes. off. The whole thing with like the delayed sound hitting everybody and oh. Nolan using that was awesome. Yeah. When it like, when they literally just, I think they like cut all sound when like it first goes off. Cause like you don't hear anything. Um, and it's all purely the visuals of just the light going off. And it, I don't know. I feel like it, it puts you in the room mm-hmm. with that going off. And then like the huge delay to the sound. Cause I feel like if you were actually there, it'd be like, see it and feel it like it'd come really fast but the the minute or two long delay they had in the movie really made you i think feel like you were in the in the moment yeah i mean i i bet it i bet it was like 90 seconds for when like for in the movie well weren't they like 20 miles away or yeah was it 20 miles away or was it like two miles away i don't know they're miles away i know that I don't know how many miles. How many miles away were they, Sage? They were 10,000 yards. So not... So wait. four miles. Okay. Yeah. Or no, wait, what would that be? That'd be six miles. Well, like five. I don't know. We need some and chalk and a chalkboard. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they said 10,000 yards, which would be like five and a half miles. This is that the speed of sound is... 2,000 feet per second. Or Just something. over five and a half miles. Yeah, and this is that it's oh, um, sound travels one mile in five seconds, so it'd take twenty five seconds for for it to hit them. Which is that's actually a longer time than I would have thought in mm-hmm. yeah. before that. Like, but in the movie, I think they hold that pause for what feels like minutes, um, mm-hmm. and then and like I almost almost forgot about the that impact, I, and then all of a sudden I was, was waiting goes, for it. I was like that. So that whole scene was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. 
and I, yeah, when it was just like waiting and like everyone was waiting, I was like, wow, this is exactly how it happened. It was just waiting and the tension. Like I, you should see my thumbnails. They're gone. I was, <laughs> I was gnawing at those puppies. Yeah. And yeah, when it hit, I was like, I did say they're holding his breath for like two minutes and then it hits. He goes, Oh boy. <laughs> Man, yeah. Well, it's because Christopher Nolan, he's my favorite director of all time, hands down. But one of the things I love about him is his intention of not using CGI and kind of no CGI actually, at all in this movie, which is insane. But I, I think like, which I kept my eye out for too. Like, I, I liked knowing that going into it because it made me look for certain things where it could have been. I was like, wait, right, uh, no, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. I, this was by far. I this may be his best directing performance for me. Like between all of his movies, I think this might have been his best directing. Yeah, Maybe I agree. I, yeah, it, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I, I don't think this is his best movie. I don't think this is my favorite of his movies, but I think this was probably his best performance as a director. Yeah. Yeah. So I and like I think the big thing about that bomb scene is it's obviously the one scene that everyone is waiting for. Like for the once the movie starts, um, it starts like leading up to this moment. And I love the way that they did both, like kind of like all aspects of leading up to this moment. Like they did the sciencey side of and like the building the team, and they had the discussions of like the how to build it, what to do, and it'd be a crazy to be in that room talking about how to how to build a bomb like yeah how to do science that's never been yeah done before it's like all theoretical that's like the biggest brain shit ever yeah well it was so because like one of the things that well actually there are two things that were super interesting to me on the sciencey side um i read about oppenheimer too before watching it fascinating that he was the first to hint at the existence of black holes I love how they went into that in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool but it really scene. showed how big brain he is. And then the other really, really interesting science side to this, because like, you know, putting yourself in their shoes in 1939 up to 1945, how serious that thought would have been of like, hey, like we didn't even think this was possible. Now that it is, we don't know how far we'll go. And the conversation of like maybe a nuclear reaction will cause the splitting of atoms and burn the atmosphere. At first I was like, that's ludicrous. That's crazy. But then I was like, fuck, you know, they didn't know. You don't like, know. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this, this was foreign, ter- completely foreign territory to them uh, in the early forties. Cause like even Oppenheimer proclaimed that fission or fusion just didn't, didn't exist to that level. Like the, the technology didn't exist. The ability didn't exist. The, like, the theory didn't exist. So that was so fascinating to me because even Albert Einstein was like, you know, who's to say it was true or not? Because something very interesting, which I think was well done too, which Jacob had mentioned before, was how actual events were in black and white and uh, interpreted events, or um, I don't know how you would, I don't know what you would call it, were in color. Uh, but like to think that even Albert Einstein was like, yeah, fuck, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, it could like the calculations look right. So yeah, it's possible. It's like, damn, that's, that's some serious shit. Well, and then knowing that you're, yeah, you're messing with a bomb like that level, like to have like theoretical ideas about certain like smaller projects or experiments. And on, on top of all of that, 
they're they know the Nazis are ahead of them. Sort of. I thought oh, yeah. that was awesome. That was a very interesting. Too. Yeah, that was a very awesome twist. He's like, but they have one weakness: anti-Semitism. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, yeah, no, not nice. One. Bad. Anti-Semitism, <laughs> bad. Very bad. But like, but nice. The Nazis were anti-Semitists, so like anti-Nazi. The political drama of it all was really well done. It was, uh, yeah, it was awesome to watch all the different um, conflict of interests for different people, um, and just kind of like the how did, uh, Robert Downey Jr. say, it, and then he's just like, Washington's all about who knows how to get things done. This whole movie was like a that like summarizes this entire movie of they have an agenda. They and it's a much bigger game than any one of these small pawns are playing. And because it went, well, it went from Germany and then to actual, Russia, yeah, Soviet Russia Union. and the Soviet Union is our actual kind of like, even though they're our ally right now, they're the ones that we're worried about. Like, there's just so much, mm-hmm. it was like that it goes so deep. And it would be absolutely insane to be in the middle of all that. So, with something that you're, you, you have a theory about how you can do it, but you don't even know how it'll work. And the bad side of how it could go is entire planet burns up and the other side of it is doesn't go off and you fail and you get fired but like that's just such a wide <laughs> variety of options for something you don't even know about with so much going on would be and wild. like everybody like like everybody's kind of right in this situation of like compartmentalization and stuff like that and like secrecy and like keeping everything separate so if you do have a leak like the kind of military generals like had a spot there to like, they were kind of right. Where like, you shouldn't just let everybody do it at like all together and like be able to leave and communicate with the outside world because more than likely, at least one of those people is going to leak it to somebody. Yeah. Well, and it was getting leaked too, Yeah. which yeah, yeah. even though it was a tiny little, I, the one thing that I didn't know also about this going into it, cause I read that he had a second home or something in uh, New Mexico mm-hmm. uh, or spent a lot of time there or something like that. And that was kind of his initial idea for where to select the location for this project. Um, I didn't know that Los Alamos, which I, this has to be true, was built for this entire project. When they, I feel like yeah. when I was reading about it, it just sounded like there was a tiny, tiny little town that they just kind of walked into and started to like take over. Um, I did not know that they created it. <laughs> yeah, the mountain was called Los Alamos. And yeah. So that's why they called the town that, yeah. Yeah, but I thought that, like, when I was reading the Wikipedia, maybe I read right by it, but that, so that was crazy to me. I was like, holy shit, how much money? Mm-hmm. Like, this, yeah, well, I think he said $2 billion, um, is how much it cost the government, which is just an insane amount anyways, but. Yeah, yeah this pro- is a, the project as a whole, I think. This project was fucking insane to go mm-hmm. for, like, two years not really talked about much. But, like, and the, so this is another thing I think they did really well, which I was reading about people were nervous how they were going to approach kind of the moral ethical side of the bomb dropping and making. And I think one of the lines, cause I, I think one of the lines that really uh, sold it for me was it, it's Cillian Murphy, isn't it? I call him Killian. Oh, I said Cillian earlier. I think it's Cillian, but check um, that one, Jamie. Okay, Google says Killian. Killian. When Killian Murphy and... Fuck oh, uh, his Jewish friend. Did you recognize him? I'm pretty sure I recognized him from the right place. Yeah, he looked very familiar, but... 
I'm pretty sure he's Bernard from Santa Claus. Oh, holy! Fuck. Wow. No. No, I think you're right. No. Do you remember his name? No, I, I was just looking at the cast. Um. No. No, I think you're right, Sage. I think that's exactly it. I couldn't play some. David Crumholtz. Yep, that was him. Bingo. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's very crazy. That's a great call, Sage. You've got some sort of savant brain. <laughs> there were a lot of them in this movie, but um, he, I think it was when he and uh, Oppenheimer were talking about it, like getting the project started, and he was like, we don't want to build a bomb. And he was like, in my mind, it's one of two things. If we don't build a bomb, the Nazis have a like are going to build a bomb. If we do build a bomb, we like have to build it before them to hopefully stop them from building a bomb. He was like, and in my mind, it's better for people I trust to have a weapon of mass destruction than people who are killing our people or like doing mass genocide yeah. on our people and people that we don't trust. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty yeah. fucking like it's a tough call. It's like a lesser of two evils. Like obviously, no one really wants war and mass destruction but uh, they they address a lot of the moral and ethical points very well and like bomb drop my goodness what a fucking crazy decision that is like yeah i don't even know if we want to get into that but i think they approach that very well and oppenheimer is death destroyer of the world that's uh yeah tough but i think his whole kind of remorse and uh reaction to it post i think that's what was so even though the last hour was super slow compared to the first two hours i think it was more going into the ethical like man maybe we shouldn't have dropped the bomb or at least one like we shouldn't have dropped two bombs which yeah i I think they did pretty well i think they could have maybe done like if they really if that was their intention they could have done more obviously but i think they kept it a very like neutrally moral ethical level no they did such a good job i think that's the best part of this movie and you you did a pretty good job of just talking about it right there um and you clicked a couple of things so because the way that they approach the creation of the bomb like it's kind of like a you don't think about the consequences yet because you're not even there yet to the point where you a can do this or b are you willing to do this and then c like actually doing it um, they're not even thinking about D what happens once it's made. So like, in, cause the whole f- first part of the movie before like the bomb goes off seems kind of like they, they hint at the points of like how, how dark the situation is. And they're just like, well, we, that we need to do this because we need to end this war. And when you're, when you're on the front end, you're like, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would probably make the same decision if I was in the, in those shoes as well. And Let's get after it. Let's end. But they kind of were like, had their, their slight little jokes. They had their kind of like, it was, it felt more lighthearted now looking back in the first half. And then the tone completely shifts after the bomb goes off. Cause the rest of the movie I felt like was way more um, depressing in the way that fuck, like we just created something that could absolutely end this entire world. If, if hot heads go at it. Um, and like that realization I think clicks hard in the second half of the movie. It's it's that in the second half. And it's also, it's amazing what once somebody is in government for a substantial amount of time, like the amount of power that they kind of have yeah. to destroy whoever's life they want. And, and how much of a big 
game it is like mm-hmm. at the end of the day because yeah. like when they were i mean when they were in the room and they're talking about like they had the list of cities that they're gonna bomb oh, yeah. like the way they're even just talking about that it was just it was all strategy like it wasn't even something that they were actually like it wasn't real as, as yeah, much as it was just a strategy like a move in a big game like i i, I like the way they did that too because like it's good for a few different aspects of it, right? Like those people in those positions, like they probably don't want to be in those positions necessarily. And the only way that they can truthfully do it to some sort of objective standpoint is to completely compartmentalize their emotions yeah, and just look at it as numbers on a map. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it's very crazy to see that. Like, I think the other conversation, um, it makes you feel like inhuman. And I think that that was Oppenheimer's like biggest struggles. He was kind of pulled both ways between like the political mm-hmm. side of this and managing that and the science side of this and the kind of the, I guess you'd say like the more moral side um, mm-hmm. because they aren't, their heads aren't in this game. Um, but the other scene that I liked a lot was, which we're bouncing around a lot, but I kind of like it. Let's just keep going. Yeah. Um, other, I don't want to go through this movie step by no. step. No, no, that no. Would, that would take longer than the fucking movie. Um, but is the conversation that he had with Truman where it was like, po- mm-hmm. that was like one of my favorite post bomb conversations. Um, because he, that's when he kind of gives his, his, I think he gives the most moral point of view and opinion in that moment than anything else. He was kind of like on the fence, even in those other rooms and like, you know, he wasn't play fully, Truman? uh, no, I recognized his face. Uh, wait, elderly male. Is his last name? It's one last name. No, his last name is Elderly Male. Is another way to say his last name. Yeah, Oldman. It was Gary Oldman. Oh. Gary Oldman. Really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't even see that at all. Um, the conversation that he has with Truman, I liked a lot because that's when I feel like it was it was the most after the fact, blunt opinion he could give in a in a closed room, um, not trying to like win any favors or anything, just give the president his honest opinion. And when he was just like, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And Truman was just like, he's like, sir, you do not have blood. Like, this is going to your point, Jacob, of like, they have to kind of, that we need somebody that's in that, in that space of making the decisions. Cause he's like, you don't have the blood on your hands. He's like, you made the bomb. You can have that. He's like, but I am the one that told, uh, like gave the direction and said what to do. Uh, the blood is on my hands. And I was just like, he's kind of, he's kind of writing that. Like, I think my only criticism of maybe Oppenheimer is I agree with his wife a little bit of like, he maybe is trying to make himself too much of a martyr um, for something that he didn't necessarily do. Like Mm -hmm. he, I think he blamed himself so much for creating it and for using it and the potential future harm of it that he felt like he needed to fall on his cross or fall on his sword um, in front of everyone to like, like and, and she said at the very end where she was just like, do you feel like you need to be tarred and feathered for everyone to like you or to be okay with you? And that's exactly his approach to it, even though I don't know if he has the... He, I don't know if the blood is on his hands. So that's why... Yeah, I mean, it's not like a purposeful approach by him necessarily that like, like consciously he's probably not like, well, like I'm all right with like getting slandered and like my name drug through the mud. But like he's like, this is just my penance for 
creating this weapon that's killed so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a tricky situation because if you think of it, it's, it is like an impossible situation because three countries all with in, uh, independent interests are in a race to create a massively destructive bomb. Like if Oppenheimer doesn't, and he's on the most trustworthy side of the three, then the other two may, and it could have been worse. Like it could not have been two bombs. It could have been four or six or 10. It could have been much more mass destruction just based on worse, worse self-interest, more evil self-interest. But at the same time, you're inventing something that is killing a lot of people and is massively destructive. So it's like, and you can't say like, I kind of see where the blood on his hands can come from because, you know, it's like stepping from sword wars to guns. Like the guy who invented the gun indirectly killed millions of people. Yeah, just for purely creating it. But it was going to be made. So it's like a weird situation Mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, man, like you could you could think about the fact that you're the one that gave mass destruction to the world, but you also did it in the lesser evil sense. Like could have been someone else, could have been much worse, could have been even a thousand times worse than that. So it's I could see like it is it's one of those weird dilemmas where I'm sure with an overthinker like him, his mind must have been spinning faster than Yeah. Freaking black hole. Well, and it is it is better to err on the side of the blood is on my hands than the yeah. other side, which is I didn't fucking do Fuck any it, man. of this. I invented shit. the bomb. Yeah. Like drinks on me. If he was like, yeah, if he was insanely happy about the potential future damage, and everything like that, I'd be like, all right, that guy is fucked up. Like it's yeah. better to be on the side of blood on your hands. But I think mm-hmm, if somebody sure. argued like him, like hey, he, like his wife was like, have a f- backbone to yourself. Like you don't have to roll over like this. Um, because they like you are all just like at a mer- at their mercy, and they're really painting this in a bad light. All these things. Um, he could have been like, "Yeah, fuck them." You're right. Like, but he he kind of chose to just give his honest opinion and kind of not roll over, but just take the beating, mm-hmm. which was an interesting personality trait or character trait of him that I really I guess, I mean I liked it, but it was yeah. interesting. I- I think one of the best, one of my other favorite scenes was Emily Blunt's like testimony at the end. Oh yeah. When she just like flipped a switch and just like completely changed. That was yeah. awesome. Cause I didn't like her. Like, I mean, I didn't, which they did a good job of kind of not, she, she didn't, I think the only thing that made me really not like her was her, uh, giving up on being a mother scene. Like, mm. yeah. Anywho, like, so I was kind of like had a, something against her for a while. Um, and then that last scene, she, I was like, oh my god, I love her. <laughs> Even the scene when after Oppenheimer finds out Florence Pugh's character's dead, and he's like laying in the woods behind the rock, and she like just flips out on him. He's like, he's like, you cannot sin and then make us feel bad for the fact that you sin. Like, you can't make us feel bad for the choices that you made. Type of deal. That was yeah. a great scene too. Yeah. Um, Florence Pugh, hot. Yeah, as a side note. Yeah, I was wondering, Jacob, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy were you to see Florence Pugh's boobs? 10. (laughs) 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 
She was like naked yes. in every scene, basically, of this entire movie. Like every yeah. minute that she had on this movie. It's so interesting because I this is the first in my mind. This is the first Nolan film that I've seen like a sex scene in. I, I can't think of another I don't one. Know. I'd have to think about it. I yeah. I've seen pretty much all. Of them. I think I've missed one of his like super early ones. I haven't seen. Um, what was the one before Insomnia? Memento. Yeah, I haven't seen Memento. I think that's the only one that I haven't seen. That I think one definitely right. might have a sex scene. I don't think it does. Anywho, um, but yeah, that it, well, and that was an I. He was a little bit of a homewrecker. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's like one of his other big legacies. Not like science stuff withstanding was. That he was like a ladies' man and like. See, I didn't. I mean, I didn't know Which that, is that was so a thing weird. about it. You know, when you think of a womanizer, the first thing you do not think of is a mega-minded physicist, <laughs> yeah, theoretical a, scientist, a, yeah. a theoretical scientist. That is yeah. not the first guy you think of. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, Matt Damon was very good as well. Well, wait, real He's quick. I wanted to, I wanted oh, to say yes. more about the Florence Pugh thing because they that one like their entire relationship was hard because like they both wanted each other but knew that each of the other person wasn't right for them mm-hmm. and that's a really hard thing to like come to realize and deal with she did fucking phenomenal um i mean killian did really good overall but yeah in her scenes with him and that whole drama um great little aspect of the movie i mean it didn't really play that much into the plot it just kind of played more into like who he was, um, but great little addition in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. What was the next thing you were going to talk about? Was uh, no, I was just Matt saying Damon. Matt Damon was awesome, but Matt Damon's always awesome. Yeah, Matt Damon was good. I thought he was okay, actually. I think there was one scene that felt very forced, and that was the when they were trying to recruit all the scientists, and he was like, "What? This is the most important thing in the history of the world," and then walked away. I was like. That was like, well, I think what that was showing though is that, um, like the severity of the situation. Cause like at the beginning they were like, it's secret. We can't talk about it. And then like the next interview, he was just like, well, it's this project. And then like the third one, he was just like, all right, we're making a bomb. We need to beat the Germans. And he saw like the need that, and how much of that was a driver. Um, and so I yeah, think he was just fed I mean, up and he was just like, I get it. Yeah. It was, you're just, just talking about the acting maybe, in that scene. I think it was the acting in the words. It was like, I think it's also what, what what Tate was saying, and I think it's also the fact that like Matt Damon, he's not used to people like his character is not one that like when he tells somebody to do something, they do it, and like they go on that team, and he's dealing with a bunch of scientists that aren't enlisted in the military, then he's like, "What the fuck is wrong with you guys?" <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it, there's just something about that scene that yeah, bothered, yeah or right. that moment that bothered me. I was like, that felt like overacting, but. I, I, I thought I think his best acting was when they were in the shelter the bomb shelter together when they first yeah. met and the his like Oppenheimer's trial at the end. I thought those were like the best parts of Matt Damon's performance outside of that. He felt kind of overacting a little bit. He wasn't one like the one that in my mind that stands out the most. Yeah. I think he was really good, but he doesn't like stand out as the best. I think the the other person that I want to talk about, um, is Robert Downey Jr. I see. I he think was he was the so second best. Fucking yeah. Good. I think Robert Downey Jr. was incredible. I think, I mean, like Killian obviously did a really good job, but I think as far as like uh, acting per minute of this film, Robert Downey Jr. was by far the best. He was, yeah. He I, I had me sold. 
Yeah, he did really good. Yeah. He was a good bad guy, or kind of mm-hmm. like uh, pissed off, evil, uh, egotistical guy. I mean, he's good at the egotistical thing, but... I yeah. thought Alden Ehrenreich was very good as well. He's like the Synodade. Did you recognize him? Yeah, he pl- of course. He played Han Solo. Wait, wait, wait. Who? Sorry. Oh, his aide. Never mind. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, his aide. Him too. Yes, Danny Jr.'s aide. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought his role was good. And like, was he, he, like I'm surprised he didn't give... I'm surprised Danny Jr. didn't fire him. Because he was basically saying like, honestly, dude, you're a dick. And you deserve to not get a seat in the cabinet. Well, I don't think he had a opportunity to fire him because i think like what happened was like he was done because he wasn't like Downey wasn't in the senate he wasn't like in anything like he was just being elected to cabinet position at that point i think yeah and so he was like well fuck i can't even fire you because my life is just fucked but he was gonna get fired because he i did like that he was basically like yeah you're kind of a dick mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> here's you your publicity can- you Who did you guys think I was talking about? You deserve this. What character? I thought you were talking about Matt Damon's right hand man. Oh, the yeah. he was a little fucker. Yeah. Did you recognize him? Yeah, he yeah, was Green Goblin, right? In one of the Spider Man movies. No, but Maybe. he is a bad guy in something. Because he's got oh, that. Oh, yep. You're gonna love this one. He is the main character in Chronicle. Oh, oh that's right. Oh my. Yeah. God, that's where I... I knew I hated him. Didn't I just say a minute ago I hated him? Once I saw his face, I was like, you beautiful little devil. <laughs> oh, God, he's got the most sunken, cracked-out eyes I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was uh, He was in Andrew Garfield's second Spider-Man movie. Mm, that makes um, sense. Chronicle Man, though. That's how I know him. Those whiny little man. red eyes. Uh-huh, yep. God, and he's such a snake. For anyone who hasn't seen that movie yet, go see it. Beautiful. Great movie. No, bitch. Ten out of ten. Five I knew um, I hated him. <laughs> I liked that Josh Peck was in it. From <laughs> I, I liked it because he didn't even say a word, which was also yeah. great. Yeah, I think he had like Once he would have talked. Maybe. Yeah, I think he had one line. Once he would have like talked a lot, I would have been like, get this guy out of here. Well, he showed up early in Berkeley and then just gone. And I was like, okay, so he's and then the he was and then he ended up being the, the person like watching, <laughs> yeah, or like in front of the button. I was like, what? Yeah, in charge. You're trusting of this guy? Detonating over the um, button? No, of the abort button. He wasn't the detonating guy. He was the abort guy. Benny Safdie. Oh, he was, was the abort guy. Yeah, uh-huh. Benny Safdie was in it. Wasn't he Teller? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was really good. He was mm-hmm. really good. He was very well, good. Is that yeah? There was sometimes his accent was a little strong, but yeah, I I I thought he killed it. He was going to be one of the next ones that I said um, absolutely killed it. I think Rami Malek was even good. Yes, so he was going to be my butt of the joke of I'm, I'm he did great because he didn't talk at all. Um, mm. But his last scene, putting Robert Downey Jr. like uh, in a bad light, that was so good. Mm-hmm. He did really so. He, in the end, he did really good. Like I, I'm not really a big Remy Malek fan. I don't think. No, I'm not either. But I thought he killed it in this. Yeah, he did good. Do you guys know that Casey Affleck was in this? Yeah, yeah. He was the interrogating or like the. Yeah, scary. he was really good too. Yeah, he did good. He did a good job. Yeah, everyone. Oh God, everyone did so good. Um, Josh Hartnett as Lawrence. They're like not theoretical scientist guy at Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, he the, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was, he actually, I think he was top five for maybe top three. 
I thought he yeah. was incredible. Jason Clark wasn't Jason. Jason Clark was the main interrogator guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Rob, because yeah. that was the one that he appointed or whatever that Remy Malik said. Yeah. Yeah, he was the yeah, interrogator. He was, oh, he was yeah. just a cutthroat dickhead. Yeah, he was good. Even the like the main guy of that board. Um or no, uh I I recognized him, but I recognized the guy at the dinner table. The older guy at the dinner table sitting next to Robert Denny Jr. Oh yeah, that's the that's L's quote unquote dad from Stranger Things. Yeah. Yes. That's right. I because I was like I recognized him and I was like, where do I know that face? So glad you said that. Yeah. There's yeah, you're saying you're right. There is a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of yeah. who's that guy or who's that gal. I I know them. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh as the as Niles Bohr. Um, he was he's the guy that directed Belfast. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I I just like Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Um. So for me, the visual and sound effects in this were like, I think Interstellar was number one. And this may be Interstellar, if not Ty. I think the most incredible way it was like when he was getting stressed or when he was kind of getting triggered, how it'd have that radiation, that crackle mm-hmm. noise. Love that. Well, and the but background. Then, yeah, and the background, how it would move. I don't know how. They, I was trying to fit. I did video editing and I was just like, I was trying, I was dissecting. I was like, how the fuck did he do that? But then uh, the one that like really blew my mind was post bomb dropping when he was giving his speech and like there was the white light behind him. And then it was the people like cheering. And it was like, like a crackling, but then also like the boom, like, and like the dust is falling and, Oh, yeah. and Oh, and like him stepping on the burnt body and like, Oh man. The visual and sound effects in this movie were just insanely good. Yeah. That was one of the most impressive scenes. Um, and then obviously all the bomb scenes were really well done. I also just think that the general score was awesome. Like all of the music behind every scene, whether it was a suspenseful build-up scene, um, whether it was silence, or whether it was just kind of like those other emotional or like transitional scenes. Um, I thought the, who, who was, I don't know who the composer was or, I think it was Ludwig Gordonson. Um, he did Tenet, Black Panther. He did The Mandalorian. Okay. Um, the Creed movies. Well, he did a stellar job. I haven't seen like yeah. really any of the other stuff. <laughs> but I honestly assumed it was Hans Zimmer. Just yeah, through, I, hap- like just through that's habit. One of the big names I heard. No, I I'm a big Ludwig Gordonson fan. Yeah, um, no, he did incredible. Yeah. The other scene that I've liked, um, I mean, especially with the no CGI and like the, the way that they did with the sound and stuff was the, which they had to have just used a little bomb for this. Um, but the bomb that they detonated as like one of their first practices and like testing the distance maybe on a smaller scale. And <laughs> Matt Damon said something like, what were your findings from this one? And he's just like, I think we'd be a little further away next time. And he's like, yep. <laughs> and then like walked away. Well, I'm just, how, how do you, cause obviously I think in reality, the actual bomb was even more impressive or like insane than even Christopher Nolan did, but to do as good of a job as he did in trying to recreate the bomb without CGI is fucking insane. Yeah. Like I'm sure the atomic bomb was probably even three or four times bigger than that, but yeah. 
like well, for like, what he did. But though some of those visuals on that, like of the just the flames and the clouds and the plumes, and it's like something about it, like burned into your vision a little bit, like just how fucking destructive that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just the idea that they're laying with their backs to it and then look through welding glasses to see, like welding glass to see it like that's not how they would look at it today yeah. <laughs> just crazy how they did that mm-hmm. i like the guy lathered on sunscreen safety mm-hmm. i think it was zinc oh was yeah. it yeah, yeah zinc makes more yeah. sense did i, I get say... it rubbed in and the guy's like yeah so guys sorry i have to leave it is cheyenne frontier days and life is very crazy i gotta go pick people up from concerts and it's just crazy. I'm out at Shine Frontier Days every single day this week. So it's it's uh, no days off for me. So I'm going to give my score right here, and I will announce the next movie pick because it's my pick next. Um, so I'm going to stick with what I gave it at the theater that night. Um, I'm going to give it a 92. I think it's fantastic. I think there's definitely um, some bits and pieces that I could have improved on, but not very much. Um, and then I will also give, like I said, my next movie – um, my next movie is we are going a little bit in the way back machine, uh, from 1967 starring Paul Newman. We are watching cool hand Luke next. It is cool streaming on Amazon prime. Luke. A laid back Southern man is sentenced to two years in a rural prison, but refuses to conform. <laughs> I like the sound of it already. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool hand Luke next 92 out of a hundred for my score July 31st. And I am going to have so much more time. I can't wait because frontier days is over. Cool head Luke. Cool hand Luke. Oh, all right. Tight. Alrighty boys. Well, have fun. Deuces amigo. Adios. So the, the two other kind of aspects that I wanted to talk about before we wrapped up were, um, one, how, like how crazy it would be to um, to make the decision to bomb, like all of the decisions made to actually use this bomb. Um, and every, so when they were talking about, we've won the war in, in Germany and the Japanese are still fighting and they're still not giving up. What do we do? Um, we have this bomb now. Um, going from that to being like, okay, well then we have to think about Russia and the Soviet Union and... Um, there are allies. That's technically a good thing, but they are, can very quickly become our enemies. So like just all the strategy that goes behind it, where they're like, how can we, like, can we just tell the Soviet union that we have this bomb? It's like, no, that's kind of sounds like a little threatening. Um, well, can we demonstrate to them <laughs> that we have this bomb, like show them, bring them out for the demonstration, um, all that stuff where they, and they're like, or should we just use this on Japan? Like that thought process of, thinking about how to like alternate ways Mm -hmm. because it seems like that would be the exact situation that you can de-escalate from like seems like bombing japan in that situation with those possibilities with the war pretty much over is like the most out of whack decision out of all available decisions like bring soviet union over and demonstrate them the bomb don't bomb japan and then japan will probably see that too and they'll be like what the fuck we're done so like it just was funny that there are so many options mm-hmm. available to them at that point because the war was won mm-hmm. that they still well, chose yeah but like yeah. i mean i think they said at the certain point they were just like we killed hitler um but japan's still fighting so we might use it on them 
Like, yeah, it's a really so because I've actually I've had this conversation before, not obviously related to Oppenheimer in the past, so just like as a general, and man, it's so I think testing it or at least showing it kind of like where Los Alamos was is one thing because you show the strength of the bomb, but by actually dropping it, by actually using it, you see the devastation of the bomb. And I think those are two different things. Yes. Well, and like, like, and our actual ability to use it, like we tested it and then it's like, but then there's another level of, uh, what you need to let people know because good, bad, like fucked up no one wants to do that like you'd have to be a really fucking bad person you could be a really power power hungry person which could be the president (laughs) i think i think there was i think the decision so there's two parts to this i think a bomb dropping was necessary i think it was a really difficult decision and a painful decision and a horrifying outcome. But I think just as in that earlier conversation that we had of, you know, if the U S got the bomb first, it was two bombs. If the Nazis got first, it may have been six to 10 bombs or 12. Like imagine if the Nazis got and they dropped on Paris or London or, uh, so, it all so the way what out you're saying on is New York City that maybe it needed to happen one time to show to the show magnitude. the magnitude and just how dangerous it could be to let everyone in the world know, like, hey, this is what we're fucking talking about. Yeah, yeah. because then, um, like, it, in in other ways, you're saying that that event was bound to happen. Yes, and depending on and and as far as the number of ways that it could happen. Yeah, that was maybe. Well, I mean, again, you can demonstrate it, like you can still demonstrate it, um, but you wouldn't see the destruction, like if yes. what, what you're talking about, which is the ethical, moral, emotional side yes. of it. It's not yes. just the fact that you have a bomb no. that can go off. Well, and we see that through Oppenheimer because when he first yeah. hears that the bomb drop was a success, he was elated. But then when they were going through the photos of the aftermath, which I think that was like, kind of like a fake elated too, like. Um, I, yeah, I think it's like a. I think it was in the back of his head, like, so what happened to the people? But I think uh, in his conscience, he was like, we did it, we succeeded. But I think, you know, in the short run, the elation faded, kind of like love. Honeymoon phase is over. You gotta sit with the shit, and the shit was bad. And he really realized, hey, like, and so this goes into my second point. The second bombing was a horrible mistake. There is no point in dropping a second bomb. Yeah. The Japanese yeah. would have thrown the towel in. Anyone would have thrown the towel in after the first bomb. No question. Yeah. There was absolutely, if anything, it was fucking evil to drop the second bomb. Because it just, there's pure no evil. point in it. Both that, are both are bad. evil, but one is like pure evil. One one is one has one's a tough evil, like or like I'm a, a necessary evil. A necessary that's the way to put it. And one's the other one is pure evil. evil. Pure evil. Yeah. Like the Nagasaki, it, that's just 
fucked. Like there is no point in dropping that second bomb. Yeah. It, that that's a power move against the Russians. And that is blood on Truman's hands to a magnitude. I mean, he still killed less people than whatever the fucking communist in China has like 2 million. Mao Zedong. Yeah. Has like 2 million deaths on his hands. So, you know, Truman has whatever, 220. Got so he's obviously not Hitler the too. worst human <laughs> of all time, but he's one of like that. That yeah. was a bad fucking call. Hiroshima, well, like maybe you to, switch it to because Nagasaki killed less people. Maybe you bomb Nagasaki instead of Hiroshima and kill less people. But well, so I'm sure it didn't seem yeah. too bad coming off of Hitler. Like, yeah, but it, it is one of, I mean, always in hindsight. And like, that's what I, I think is the most frustrating thing about war. Like that's, and I think that's the big picture. Like, um, that's the big picture. That's of the it. big picture of this entire movie. And everything that was around Oppenheimer's life was just the question of war. And mm-hmm. why do we do it? Why do like, why does it happen? Um, and again, I think it's something that's inevitable, but so anywho, that's just the big moral dilemma of this entire mm-hmm. film is if we didn't escalate things, then we wouldn't have any like need for any of this stuff. And, um, if we have, we just had sticks and stones for the rest of our lives. Sure. There'd still probably be wars fought, <laughs> but like, um, the philosophical side of being the god of all destroyers or whatever that quote um that they say a couple times in the film like i am now the destroyer of worlds so earlier i said there's like two things this is the second thing when his moral compass completely makes that flip of the Mm -hmm. switch like he always kind of had it in the back of his head of like i don't think i want to create this it's not a good thing to create but in the beginning you're not thinking about the exact um what you're talking about of like the emotional side of the destruction it could create you're not thinking about that as much or it, cause you can't really think about it. You don't know about the worst destruction that can happen from your enemies having it, which is fair. Yeah. Like that's yeah, a which fair, is fair argument. That's actually probably the most fair argument. And that was like, it's it. So the first half of the movie was all about that growth of like, create it, create it, create it. We need to win. Um, we need, cause it will be far worse if we don't. Um, and then once it's created and they use it, he completely flips into his um, dealing with it. And the, the holy fuck, what did I just do side of things? And yeah. I think the, the really good question in the interrogation was when the main, not the douchey interrogator guy, but the main person in the board, like the speaker of the board. Yeah. When he asked the question, he said, so you all of a sudden have all of these morals now that we've created it and now that we've used it. He's like, at what point did you get those morals that you didn't have them earlier when you were making the bomb. Um, and I think that that was such a good question because it's like, it's like, how do you answer that? The minute that you start and you say yes to being up on a project that is going to create a nuclear bomb and you already know the magnitude of that when you're saying yes in that moment right there. Mm-hmm that's already like crossing moral lines. So it's kind of like the question of at what point did you finally feel like you crossed moral lines? Was it the fact that like once you already like once it was used like and and that is the the flip side of this like philosophical or his philosophical mind um is he was thinking more about the what if we don't and then once it was made he was like the holy fuck what did we do? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was it's so honest and so true. Yeah, well, it's such an interesting parallel to his 
personal scientific side to this moral side is the consistent um, saying like, um, I'm a theoretical scientist. Like it's different once you put it into practice. Yeah. Well, guess what? There is theoretical social sciences as well. Like you can think up, I did game theory. I did philosophy and econ. You can think up millions of scenarios and worlds and situations and variables, trillions. And, you know, you can run as many what ifs as possible. You can never know what's going to happen. And you can never really know what the reaction is going to be. And I think that one of the best kind of realizations of this was post bomb dropping when Oppenheimer and Einstein were meeting. And, you know, they had the conversation. We, you remember when we thought that we were going to light the atmosphere on fire and we we're going to the world. And he was like, well, maybe we ac- accidentally did, you know, that. Yeah. I think was a potential consequence, but it wasn't the most likely consequence at the time because in theory, people would see how destructive this weapon is and would know better than to use it on other people. But then in practice, it's like, fuck, these people have a bomb that can eradicate us. We need to have bombs to eradicate them. And so let's they have don't two for us. every one that they have. And then once they have three for every two we have, then we have, yeah. And so I... I think it was an unintended consequence. Um, but it's, 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 yeah, but you could kind of expect that that's the route it goes. But they didn't really have a choice, too. No, so exactly. To, I know. That's going like, to like, going to like where you were, inevitable. where your question was framed. Things change when you're in war and you're thinking like if the Nazis have an atomic bomb and they can kill hundreds of thousands or millions of people with it that's a different scenario than the Nazis and Japanese are gone. Now, what do we do? Cause it's like, those are, that's, those are different times when you're in war. The intent is to kill and hurt other people. When war is done, your intent should be, Hey, we're done Maintain killing and hurting peace. people. But now there's this overhanging anxiety of like, okay, we're in quote unquote peace, but these guys have a bomb that can fucking wreck us. So we should have a bomb that can wreck them just in case. Yeah. So it, then that's the Cold War piece is that's that's the that's the interesting part of how the Cold War develops. And that's, I think, Oppenheimer, his role as a person, but also his um, figurative role in this movie is like, hey, we need to address this because if we don't, this could spiral and nuclear warfare could be something way beyond precedent and that's what happened and he got shut down for political reasons but yeah and that's the i mean that's the other political drama that i like a lot of this is just the getting what you want when you're in politics not necessarily in the thing that's in the best interest um yeah and they totally and i and i kind of like that he just kind of said fuck you to everyone in his own way like he wasn't like i'm not going to really like play into like your political games of fighting you on this. Um, and sure I'll do what I can and I'll tell my story. But other than that, whatever, however people take it and like take that with what you will. Um, like when they, 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 at the one point when they said that they were like, Oh, we have the um, transcript from what you said earlier about this story. Oh, and now we have an audio recording. 
we're going to see if those match up. And he was just like, fine, I don't care. <laughs> he was just like, whatever, do what you want. Um, and he wasn't like playing the political games in the end. Yeah. Um, but he was playing them much more in the middle. Yeah. And I think one time, like even his buddy said, he was, yeah, he was like, you're being you're more of a politician yeah. than a scientist. Yeah. yeah. And I think he was kind of like, oh, fuck. I mean, so it was cool though. Yeah. To see him make that flip. And when he answered that question of, he's like, I'm honestly not sure where my morals came in and like when all of a sudden they overcame me, but I just know that I feel that way now. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, and I'm sticking to that, that this is, yeah, it's the most devastating thing ever created and we need to be careful. It, it's just funny to me that, and I think it makes sense, but it's funny to me that you can say yes to making something like a bomb and then not feel the moral regret of it mm-hmm. until after it's been used like yeah it's like well, the I, idea of yeah. like you said earlier of like creating a gun and then being like oh that's cool and then once it's used you're like oh my god what have i done even though you knew the whole time what like maybe could be done with it yeah and like that's such a fascinating yeah. dilemma with the scientists was it's like in reality their goal wasn't necessarily to create a weapon of mass destruction it was to break the rules of science yeah. and it was for like push the boundary of where they were in the world of science. Yeah. And they knew where it was going to end up, but that's such a fascinating yeah. ethical role in this too is that's a fucked up one too. It's like, Hey, we could invent this. We could change science, but it could kill a lot of people and it could do bad things. Yeah. Well, and wasn't there a scene somewhere in this where after he knew that they could create it and replicate it and do it, when somebody was asking him about it, um, I think he was kind of denying the the possibility of it. Um, yeah. I think it's when they were talking, he was talking to like a general or he's talking to somebody um, when he was kind of getting to the point of like, oh, fuck, this is about to happen. We're about to test this. Um, and it's, it's funny to me, like you, sometimes you can't even say the thought like, or the, you can't even say it out loud that it is possible because once mm-hmm. it is, nobody else will do anything else other than create it. Yeah. But if you say it's impossible, yeah, maybe they don't go try and create it. Um, so it's just a funny, like once, once he knew it was possible, it was like, it was already made at that. Yep. At that moment, the bomb was there. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody would, even if he didn't, somebody would. And that goes, that circles right back to the main problem. It's like, if someone's going to do it, who's the right person to do it and why? If it's, yeah, if somebody knows it's possible, it will be done. That is now a new idea. All right, so since Jacob usually does this shit, I don't really know what to do here, but um, something about the aggregators. Uh, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and an 8.9 on IMDb and an 89 on Metacritic. Uh, yeah. So 8.9 from IMDb will go down. Uh, probably. Yeah. 8.9 is really high for IMDb. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you want to go? Yeah. I was just looking at my Christopher Nolan list. I think I'm going to give an 89. Um, that's just below prestige, but that lands in the top. That's number five, top five, Christopher Nolan for me. I think it, the directing, I think I do stand by it was Christopher Nolan's best directing of all of his movies that I've seen. Um, the sound effects and visual effects were incredible. The acting was very good. I don't think it was 
nearly the best acting performances of his movies I've seen. Um, and the story was very well done, very interesting material, but it was too long. That's my problem is like, I'd watch Interstellar over this eight or nine times out of 10. So 89 for me. That's on par. And I think Jake would give it a 92 because I'm going to give it a 90. Um, this movie's definitely in that range. That's why like, I, I felt like I was robbing it if I gave it an 85. Um, yeah, very fucking good movie. Everybody should see this. In fact, every like this is one of those movies. If you had to explain in a in like ten movies what it means to be human, I would include this movie. Like this movie has so much around it on the human condition. So very very well done movie. Um, all right, that's a ninety. When you round down, uh, and Jacob picked his next movie, something about a cool hand gun or cool hand Jake or Paul Newman, cool hand Luke. That's it. Uh, yeah, we will catch you next time. Bye bye. Don't you do the Instagram and Twitter and threats? Oh, right. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know all that jazz, but um, and if you don't, you're just gonna jump to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he says. I'm gonna, radi- I'm gonna radiate your body to a crisp and then step through your ribcage. Oh shit, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of literally anything other than use a bomb. Um, no, yeah, I got nothing. I'm not. I'm refusing to use the use a bomb. How ethical of you! All right, we'll catch you next week. into this that einstein even overlapped with him in lifetimes yeah no so it's really because einstein was uh being sought out by the nazis to overlook the atomic bomb effort so he fled germany and went to the u.s and then he was not directly related but like a advisor yeah like an advisor sort of he, he was like a kind of advisor. Just a mentor towards, kind of advisor. Because he wanted the U.S. to have an atomic bomb before the Nazis. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs>